It is so great to be with you, so great to open the Word of God together. And so if you do have your Bible, please turn to the Gospel according to Luke. And we'll continue our series there in Luke 21. It is, I know our, our inside crowd is a little different than our, than our outside crowd, and so we're grateful to be able to see uh, those of you who are able to join with us um, in here today. And we're looking forward to, I'm looking forward to September when it's a little cooler and there's not the same like heat concerns for outside and there can be even more of us outside together to worship our Lord and Savior together. Um, so I'm, that's something that I'm really like, come, let's, let's do this. So we were hoping today would be that day when we were saying mid-70s, um, but then it's different than we would have hoped, but it's exactly what God has for us. And so we trust him, we look to him, and we look to him in his word. So if you're there in Luke 21, we're going to be continuing our series there. And actually the next few sermons in Luke, we're going to be working our way through Jesus' teaching, which is known as the Olivet Discourse. Now it's not known as that based on Luke, because in Luke, he just gets right to it. And he's like, they ask him questions, Jesus says this, um, where in M- Matthew 24 and Mark 13, you have uh, the disciples going with Jesus out to the Mount of Olives and then asking the follow-up question that we'll see in the first few verses of the text for today. So that's why it's known as that, but you'd never know it just from Luke. And in this, he is making predictions, Jesus is making predictions about the future, about the future. What is going on? There is a lot. There's a lot going on. So we're, I was tempted to try to like do it all in one shot because a lot of the application is similar. So maybe we'll have similar applications ending up being made. I don't know for sure because we're not in those other Sundays yet, but we are going to take at least a few weeks to kind of figure this out a little bit together and more than figuring it out, responding the way that Jesus would have us respond. So as a matter of course, in these sermons, we will be talking about eschatology, the doctrine of last things. Now, this chapter doesn't contain all or even most of what the Bible teaches about eschatology. So this isn't an eschatology course. We're not going to be staking out all the positions and talking about all the the merits of all the different positions on eschatology generally because when the Bible talks about eschatology, and particularly as Jesus is talking about things that when he was speaking are in the future here in Luke 21, Whenever the Bible talks about what's coming in the future, it's not to give us God's prophetic blueprint so that we can figure it all out and know exactly what's going to happen and when it's going to happen. Instead, the Bible's emphasis consistently is on how we should live in light of Jesus' coming. That he really is coming. That he really is going to rescue his people and he is going to judge the world and he's going to usher in the age to come, a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells, to quote from Second Peter. He's going to do all those things and he wins. So prophecy, like this chapter, is not to encourage speculation 
It's to instill confidence and faith that endures through the difficult days to come because Jesus is king and his kingdom endures forever. That is what prophecy is for. It's to instill confidence and faith that endures through the difficult days to come because Jesus is king and his kingdom is forever. And that is exactly what Jesus is after here. So with that as a preface, the text that we'll be working our way through over the next few weeks goes all the way up to verse 38 from verse 5. But for today, we're just going to look at verses 5 through 19. So we're stopping in the middle of the discourse, and we'll talk more about some of the big questions that are raised in the latter end of the discourse on another Sunday, but for this Sunday, we're looking at verses 5 through 19. So if you have your Bible, please look at it now as I read Luke 21, 5 to 19. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he, that is Jesus, said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another, that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. For these things must first take place. But the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these words of Jesus. And we ask that you would help us to approach them with wisdom and humility Understanding what Jesus would have us understand and then responding the way that he would have us respond. Living like his people while we wait for him to come. And so, Spirit, would you come and meet with us now? Would you lead us? Would you help us? Would you strengthen us for the days in which we live with these words from the first century? In Jesus' name. Amen. The big idea this morning, kind of trying to summarize verses 5 through 19, is this. In the face of terror and persecution, 
we must not miss our opportunity to be witnesses for Jesus. In the face of terror and persecution, we must not miss our opportunity to be witnesses for Jesus. So we want to consider first the original meaning of this. Before we jump, as sometimes we're tempted to do and go, oh, there it is. Yeah, that sounds just like today. Jesus said this on a specific day. And it was before some other days that have already happened in history. And you're probably familiar with at least some of the verses that we just read together. But before we get to attempting to apply them to us, which we will, it's important for us to see that Jesus was saying these things to them, his first disciples, and that the prophecies, especially in this part of the Olivet Discourse, have already been fulfilled. So the particulars are for them, but there are principles for us. And we understand this in lots of other parts of the Bible. We see something and go, okay, that happened then, and it, it applies to us as a, as a principle, even if the particulars aren't exactly for us the same way that they were for these first ones. So what do we know about the end anyway? Even so far in Luke, right? Jesus has already told us that he is coming back, that we need to be ready, and that it will be obvious when he returns. He said this in chapter 12 and in verse 17 through some different parables. And then Jesus has also already spoken of Jerusalem's coming destruction. You may remember that from chapter 17. Chapter 13, chapter 19, where he said, your house is forsaken. He said that way back in 1335. He's even more specific in 1941 to 44, when he speaks of Jerusalem as being surrounded on every side, which he'll say again in coming weeks in this Olivet Discourse. And he also said there won't be, they won't leave one stone upon Another. So it's not exactly new information, even for us as readers of the gospel according to Luke. But here in verse 6, as people are speaking about the temple and look how beautiful it is and look how much people have given, which kind of connects it back to verses 1 through 4 about the widow giving the really small offering and Jesus saying, she's given more than everyone here. As they're speaking about the glory of the temple, Jesus says, it is going to be destroyed. Not one stone left on top of another. And that would have been like saying the world is going to end. That's how those first followers would have heard that. Uh, The temple, of course, had been destroyed before and was in the process still of being rebuilt. They've been working on it for decades, right? That was part of the complaint when Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Of course, he wasn't speaking of that temple. He was speaking of his body, which would be raised up after they destroyed it by crucifying him. But he says it's going to be completely destroyed. And there were, even just the stones themselves were huge to build this temple. So it would have been something that's unthinkable. How could this be? Now that the temple's been rebuilt, this is the center of God's activity in the world. And so part of what he's signaling is that it's not. He is the center of activity. And even in Luke, right, he's been moving toward Jerusalem for chapters now. He's headed toward Jerusalem. He's moving toward Jerusalem where he will give his life for everyone who hopes in him. 
But then as we get to Acts, it starts out in Jerusalem and then moves out from there. That's even the the pattern that Jesus gives in Acts 1.8, that it starts at Jerusalem. It starts where they are, but it moves out from there. And the big sign that Jerusalem is no longer the center and that we are in the last days is the destruction of Jerusalem and specifically here the destruction of the temple. And so this is big news, even though they've heard it before and they're going, wait a minute, okay, Jesus, when is this going to happen? And what is going to be the sign? That's what they ask in verse 7. What will be the sign when these things are about to take place? We want to know. So it seems like they're thinking about the destruction of the temple as part of perhaps the final day of the Lord and the end of the world. And again, when we look at the parallels, especially Matthew 24, verse 3, they actually ask him then, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So Jesus is actually answering kind of both of those things in this passage. And he lets them know that they're not the same event and they won't happen at exactly the same time. We have a hint of that in verse 9. He's talking about what's going to happen. He says, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. And we're aware from other texts, and even in Matthew's version of this, that Jesus said it's not for us to know the time or the season, though he does give some hints about the kinds of things that will be happening. So we, we shouldn't get into the business of picking dates, of saying like, I've been reading the newspaper a lot, and so I know Jesus is coming in the next six months. You, you don't know that. Now he might, but you don't know that, right? It's getting to be where it's almost too old to use this as an illustration of this anymore. Uh, but some of you were here with us when Harold Camping made his most recent pronouncement of the end of the world. He had made one in the 90s, and he made a, he made a comeback in his old age. That's the other thing. If you already get it wrong once, just stop, right? It's like, this is the date. No. It's like the, old, the book that was 88 Reasons that Jesus would come back in 1988. And they did like future editions. It's like, well, it wasn't then. We got to have one more reason why it's going to be 89. It's like, guys, guys, guys. So, but even while, while we were here, now this is nine years ago in 2011. May 21st, 2011 was going to be the end of the world, and then when it wasn't, it's like, well, that was the super secret rapture that was so secret that people were raptured spiritually, and they themselves didn't even know it. Like, this is the deep magic, right? (laughs) You can be raptured and not even know. And so then he was pinning all his hopes on six months later, or five months later in October, then that was going to be the end of the world, and we were in the final Days. Thankfully, before he passed away, he did repent of that after October. He held out strong till October. He was very, he, family radio was like how that was propagated. You know, the church is done. Don't be in churches. Um, they're all apostate. I'm the one person who's telling you the truth, which just, just like a side note, anyone who's doing that, do not go there, okay? Do not listen 
to them. Do not follow them. Jesus even tells his disciples that. There's going to be people telling you, I'm he. Now, Harold Camping wasn't saying that. But there are others in my lifetime who were saying things like that, like David Koresh. And that one I know is a really old reference. We're talking about 1993. There's a whole bunch of you that are like, 1993, that's the kind of thing we learn about in history. It's like, right? I agree with you, Joey. It is crazy. I mean, our kids, they're going to learn about 9-11 as history, man. That's, that's weird. But now we're just talking about how old I am, and that's not the point today. So Jesus, in this portion of the text, is actually talking about things that will happen before the destruction of Jerusalem. So there are things happening right at, that are right around the time of that, with kingdoms and nations and all that. But then he says in verse 12, but before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. So I'm putting forward that everything we read for today, and there will be some in coming weeks talking about the future, everything we read for today has already happened in the first century with the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. Because in the years leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem, all these things took place. There were earthquakes. There was a huge one in the year 62, which is where they were already rumbling. So um, Jerusalem was destroyed in the year 70. AD 70. But the wars with Rome were going on for years up to that point. That was just kind of the final moment when it was actually destroyed. But there were struggles before that. There were earthquakes. There were rebellions and wars, not least of which was the Jews rising against Rome. There was famine throughout much of the Roman Empire at various points. Pestilence. You're like, what's a pestilence? A plague or disease There also was that. Signs in the heavens. There were multiple comets that happened in just a few years before Jerusalem was destroyed, which, especially when you don't know that they run in a pattern, be like, this is a big deal. There's a sign in the heavens. Not too much unlike the the blood moons. You know, there's going to be four of them within this time period. And so that means that something important is happening in Israel, which happened a few years ago. The interesting thing I found about that one is that those four moments were like only visible from our hemisphere. So they were visible in the U.S., which we tend to think of as like, yeah, so we're, we understand. Um, and, but it wasn't happening in Israel. So it wouldn't have been very much of a sign to people living over there. But people made money selling books and gaining followers only to have them be disappointed when the things they predicted didn't happen. So if there's a theme, don't, none of you are going to predict that. We don't, okay. So everything in here has happened already. And Jesus says, even before those things, here's what's going to happen to you guys who are hearing this. He's speaking with his disciples in this moment. And he's telling them, this is what is going to happen to you. They're going to lay their hands on you, verse 12, persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. Now, if you know the book of Acts, kind of Luke part two, if you will, 
then you know that this is exactly what happened. People were killed for Jesus' sake. Paul was brought before kings and governors. And Jesus says, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. So this is what has happened. Now, we don't just go, see it all happen. Now we know everything we need to know. It's been a wonderful Sunday. We're so glad to be together. We may not have these exact things happen to us. And these aren't exact prophecies about what will happen in the future for us. But we may face these things. It certainly feels like some things are out of control in this world, doesn't it? And the news tells us every day about something else to be afraid of. Some fear COVID-19, some fear government overreach, some fear the long-lasting consequences of multi-trillion dollar relief packages. You can be actually like afraid of all those things at the same time. And there's this little thing happening the first Tuesday in November. You may have heard about it. Um, there's an election coming up. Some people are mildly concerned about the ramifications of that. Right, yes. More than that, right? So maybe this isn't the end of the world, but it may feel like it. And so this is a good day for us to be looking at this text, hearing these words of Jesus. Again, even if the particularities aren't exactly for us because they were for them, what principles can we take? What does Jesus want from us when we face fears, when we face political turmoil, when we face uncertainty, when we face economic instability, food shortages, supply chain problems, and disease? Not to mention the persecution that's described in verses 12 through 19. Well, the commands that Jesus gives, I think, are very relevant for us today. He begins in verse 8 after they ask the question, when will these things be and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Verse 8, he says, see that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. So that's the first, which we've kind of already talked about in recounting some of our own history of prophets prophesying the end of the world. Don't be led astray. Don't go after them. We have God's word. And we have his spirit, and that is enough. We don't need someone telling us the day. We don't need someone reading all of it and going, okay, there it is, now it's going to happen. Because Jesus has said, you're not going to know. The focus isn't on knowing what's going to happen. It's on knowing the one who's in charge of it all. Don't be led astray. Even if someone is coming in Jesus' name and saying, I know what's going to happen, they don't. Don't be led astray. Second, don't be terrified. In verse 9, when you hear of wars and tumults, sounds familiar, right? 
Do not be terrified. And for them, it was for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. He's basically saying it's not the end of the world. Literally. (laughs) It's not the end of the world. So that's an expression we use for like, don't make that a bigger deal than it should be. But perhaps for some of us, there's like, this is, I mean, I've never seen it quite like this. This is probably it. It might be, but that is not what we need to worry about. We do not have to be afraid because we have Christ. We belong to him, and he will make sure that we make it all the way to the end. So don't be led astray. Don't be terrified. We don't have to be afraid of the things that the world is afraid of because we're trusting in Christ who has us. And then, as we're keeping on following Jesus, as we're living by faith rather than fear, be ready for your opportunity. Be ready for your opportunity. Don't be led astray. Don't be terrified. And be ready. If these verses were for sure for us, verse 12, before all this they will lay their hands on you, persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. It's like, yeah, I don't, oh man, okay. I guess, if Jesus said that's what's going to happen, I, I guess, and we got we to gotta get ready. But verse 13, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Those things in verse 12, I don't feel like they're opportunities, right? They don't seem like opportunities. They don't look like opportunities. When you tell someone like, I had a great opportunity to share the gospel with my coworker, this isn't how you think about it starting, right? You think about it more like you're making small talk and they're like, hey, I... uh, I was watching your church online the other day and the guy was saying something about following Jesus and can you tell me about that? It's like, that's a perfect opportunity, right? But Jesus says this, this moment when everything's out of control and when you're being persecuted for my name's sake, that is your opportunity to bear witness. So he says, settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Now, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't prepare sermons, which you know that we believe that already. But it does mean that there will be moments that we feel like we are not prepared for. But as we are not being led astray, and as we are not being terrified, as we are continuing to follow Jesus and to trust In him, when we face the day of difficulty, he will give us the grace for that moment. And not just the grace for that moment, the words for this, for that moment. And I know some of you have already experienced that in your life, where you say, I didn't even really know what I was saying until after the fact, but it was God working through me in that moment of adversity. And that's where I think there are principles for us. Even if we may not see exactly the same things, these are the kinds of things that have been happening since the first century to followers of Jesus in some places. So we can look at things here in America and go, you know, we're in, uh, in other states, churches are maybe not being treated fairly, and we're like all ready for persecution, and we forget that that's happening to our brothers and sisters throughout the world. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be paying attention to what's going on here politically, but we don't need to jump to make ourselves the center 
every moment. There are people even now who are suffering because they belong to Christ, because they dare to say, Jesus is Lord and I am submitted to him. I am trusting in him. I belong to him. And so, yes, this happened specifically to those first disciples, but these kinds of things are happening even now in other parts of the world. In Africa, in the Middle East, it's happening. And it may happen here. I'm not saying that it won't. I'm saying the main thing we need to do in that moment is to not be led astray, to not be terrified, and to be ready by God's grace for the opportunity not to take over, not to win, but to win people for Christ to bear witness to the one who has saved us so that we ultimately have nothing to fear. It's interesting what Jesus does right at the end of this. He's telling them you're going to be delivered up even by your friends and neighbors, relatives, your parents. You're going to suffer. Some of you are going to die. And then in verse 17, he says, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. And so all this is making sense. And then you have verse 18. But not a hair of your head will perish. Like, so which is it, Jesus? Are we going to suffer and die for our faith? Or are we going to be delivered? And of course the answer is yes. Jesus is calling us to an eternal perspective. Yes, we may lose even our lives. But as Jesus said in another place, it's those who lose their lives for his sake who find it. We may lose our earthly lives, but that is not even close to the worst thing that can happen to us. Those who endure to the end, whether that endurance looks like dying comfortably in old age or dying on a cross upside down like Peter did. Dying stoned to death like Stephen did. Those who endure to the end will be saved. Or as the refrain that comes up a few times in Revelation, with description of these crazy events, you're like, what is going on? And John writes, here is a call for the endurance of the saints. What is prophecy for? So that when we face our own difficult days, we wouldn't lose focus We wouldn't lose sight of our Savior and we would endure to the end in our faith because he's that strong and he's that good and he's going to win and everything is going to be all right. It doesn't mean everything's going to be all right the way we define it, but in eternity, everything will be all right. And so this week, as I was pondering, you know, what does it mean to embrace your opportunity, for us to embrace our opportunity, perhaps as the church? Uh, I was in communication some with a pastor, a friend of mine, where I was actually supposed to go and teach last year, and I'm planning, Lord willing, to go and teach uh, in March, uh, but we'll see, uh, in Minsk, Belarus. Anybody hear anything about Belarus this week? Okay, one, two, okay, four, five. I see those hands. <laughs> I was about to make a really bad joke. All right. 
the church in Belarus is facing really difficult times right now. Now, it's not specific persecution of them. See if this sounds familiar or like maybe anything that you might think might be on the horizon here. They, they had elections last Sunday, national elections. And the guy who's been the president for like, basically since Belarus became Belarus, uh, is still the president. They say that he won with 80% of the vote, but there's a whole lot of people out in the streets now that are saying there's no way that he could have won at all, let alone with 80% of the vote. He's known kind of as, as Europe's last dictator. So you have a president doing whatever he can to stay in power. You have rigged elections. The opposition candidate was jailed ahead of the election, like weeks before. And so he's in jail, and his wife's like, okay, I'll be the candidate, and you guys can vote for me. Now she's fled the country. We think our politics are bad. And so now, in the wake of those elections, people are taking to the streets and saying, this isn't right, and we want to be heard, and we want to be seen. And of course, a dictatorial president doesn't want that to be heard or seen, right? So he's sending out the troops, literally, to make sure that they're silenced. People are being grabbed off the street for no reason. They're not even part of anything and are being grabbed, beaten, questioned, held for hours, And these church members, this pastor that I'm in communication with, these church members, they're citizens too, right? And they long for justice and righteousness in their land. They think someone else other than the dictator, the president, should be the president. And so they're exercised about that to a certain degree, and they know this is their moment, not to win freedom for Belarus, though maybe that will be something like that will be sort of a result. But it's their opportunity while people are afraid and people aren't sure what's going to happen and what next week will be or if they'll be there next week. They are going into the streets with the gospel. They're going and preaching the gospel. I I don't understand their language, so I didn't get very much out of the clip that was sent to me by the pastor the other day. It was like, here they are, preaching the gospel publicly and telling stories of their, of their church, not just a pastor being brave and going, but the church going, going to where the people are, where the hurt is, where the unrest is, where the uncertainty is, where they themselves might be arrested just for being there. They're seizing opportunities to move toward the struggle and pain with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that speaks a better word than we can turn this country around. It speaks a better word than you can be financially secure. It speaks a better word than your streets can be safe. Now, I'm fine with streets being safe and financial security and all those things, right? But they know on the basis of texts like this, that we have better news than that. And now is the time. Now, their situation isn't exactly like ours. And ours isn't exactly like 
the first century. You might say that's not very good application. That's way over there. But part of it's that we need to think about and be aware of what is happening around the world. Not so we can get overwhelmed by it, but so that we can pray. So that we can kind of get ourselves out of being the center of our own universe for a while. I don't know if you struggle with that. I do. I tend to think about how things are for me and how things relate to me. And then we can do that as a family. Like, how are, how are we? As long as, long as we're good, it's kind of like, well, we'll figure it, everyone else will figure it out. It's like, no. And we can't all carry the whole weight of the world. And even knowing about it isn't so that we carry it, it's so that we carry it to the one who already has carried the whole weight of the world. And even now is carrying all his people to the end. And so the situation in Belarus isn't our situation exactly. Our situation isn't exactly the situation from here in Luke 21. But may God give us eyes to see the opportunities right in front of us to live by faith rather than fear and to make the most of our opportunity to be witnesses, not of certain positions, but of Christ, of his glory. May the Spirit help us in accordance with Christ's promise to know what to say and how to say it. Let us not give in to the lie. Again, based on the foundation of this text, let us not give in to the lie that we can make everyone love us. If we give the right answers or we say the right things, it's like, well, surely they'll see and they, they won't persecute us because they'll get that we're okay. No. Let us not give in to the lie. We have lots of scripture for that. First Peter being one of those, where yes, we are supposed to live in such a way that their accusations don't make sense, but it doesn't say that the accusations won't come anyway. Now, this doesn't mean being abrasive for the sake of being abrasive and calling it persecution. Jesus said, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. Even if we die, we live Jesus is the one who will make sure of that because he is the resurrection and the life. And everyone who believes in him, though they die, yet shall they live. And everyone who lives and believes in him shall never die. Do we believe this? By grace, let's hold on to him by faith until the end. Whenever that is. So in the face of terror and persecution, by God's grace, let us not miss our opportunity to be witnesses for Jesus. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for texts like these that help us for when we face uncertainty, when we face fear, when we wonder what the future will be, help us to look to that really good future that is coming when you come again to make everything right. Would you help us to prepare for the future? If there's any among us or online who's not yet trusting in you, thinking I can make life work my own way or I can figure out, you know, this is pretty good here now, to see that this is not all there is that there is a life to come and that the only way into that life is to turn from our sin, our rebellion against you and to trust in the work of Jesus alone for us. Would you help us who are trusting in you? Would you open our eyes to see what you want us to see? 
to be aware of your work, to be praying for your people all over the world, and then to love the neighbors that are right in front of us for your sake. Would you help us not to be led astray, not to be terrified, but to be ready for the opportunity to bear witness. We ask for your help according to Jesus' work for us and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.